0: but for the last 11 years has been involved with the Churches of Christ disaster relief effort, but uh, not only uh, gave us that information, which he's also going to pass on to us in this morning's message, but uh, one came out and said, I I I need to obey the gospel of Christ. Had a baptism this morning, and uh, as I look out in the audience, I see he's still here. Stand up, Chris. Amen. Amen. Our new brother in Christ is brother Christopher Woodward. He uh, said he was out on the parking lot and, and the, I don't know, something just dragged him back in here. All right. And said, I need to obey the gospel of Christ. Right. So we're grateful for uh, God just blessing him with that desire to do so. Uh, and uh, the water is still ready uh, for someone who wishes to obey the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so without... Uh, any further ado, uh, we're going to have just a, a short verse of a selection, and then the next voice that you hear will be that of Brother Dwayne Castile of the Southside uh, Church of Christ in Winchester, Virginia. His lovely wife Betty is here. I'm going to yield the floor to him Amen. and verse of a song, and after that, Brother Castile will, will loose him and let him go. Right. Amen. Right. Amen. Amen.
1: Oh, thank you for allowing me to come and be with you today. Betty and I are delighted to have the opportunity to be back in East Baltimore and to worship with you, be able to present a lesson, be able to inform you about Churches of Christ's disaster relief effort. Two things I want to mention before I forget them. Uh, One is, put your contribution in that wide envelope first. Don't take anything out of it to put in the brown envelope. Okay, okay. <laughs> do what you can for the brown, but don't rob the white one to do it. All right. uh, all right, because your first responsibility is, is, is here at home. Okay. The other thing, for all of you seniors, and I'm not talking about senior high school, senior college, <laughs> talking about all of us old folk. Okay. All right. uh, on October the 22nd, I think he's probably gotten two mailings on this, but I thought, well, I better mention it. On October 22nd, Southside Church in Winchester is hosting a Seniors Day. We have Ladies' Days, we have Youth Days, we have Men's Retreats, and the old folks have been overlooked. And so we're going to have a Seniors Day on October 22nd. Brother Rupert uh, is going to preach. A couple of classes, Brother Mike Anglin from Silver Springs is going to teach a couple of classes. We've never done this before. It's a trial and error, and you'll get another mailing with an RSVP date on it. And uh, if you're going to come, you better say we're coming, uh, because we want to be prepared for ever how many people are going to be there that day. Another thing I forgot to mention this morning is if you're in Nashville, Tennessee anytime, Down there for any reason, if you have some free time, Monday through Friday from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, come by our facilities and visit. They'll introduce you to the staff. They'll show you through our some 86,000 square feet of facilities. And if you've got a little more time, they'll find something for you to do. (laughs) They'll put you to work. And in connection with that, on the table down in the foyer, are some materials about us. There's some DVDs out there. They're about seven and a half minutes long. It basically tells you how we operate and if you take that and watch it and then pass it on to somebody else. If you want to make copies of it, that's okay. I spoke someplace and a man come up and he said, is it okay if I make 200 copies of this? I said, sure it is. He said, well, I have family and I have friends that live other places. They need to see this, so you can make copies if you like. Pretty material, this is also information about us, uh, when we started and how we operate, uh, just other th- and some of the people that work with us. The blue sheet is a summary of what we have done the first six months of this year. We update these every month. It's broken down state by state, what the community was, the township we went to, what church we sent the supplies to, uh, what the disaster was, a uh, lot of facts and figures. It's all summarized on the front page. 173 shipments of disaster relief supplies to 46 townships, working with congregations in those towns, in 15 different states. Total value, $7 million. Last year we did $6 million for the whole year. So disasters have been a little bit worse the first six months, and we still have, you know, five more months to go, plus whatever we've done this particular month. There's also our quarterly newsletter. has just additional information in it. Uh, If you'd like to receive this through the mail, there's a sign-up sheet on the table. If you're a computer person on the internet, Our website is on the bottom of the green box and the newsletter is on our website and uh, information about our Facebook page this year. We have 9,500 plus people who have liked our our Facebook page and like for you to go there and say you like it too. Then every time we put something on it, you'll be aware of it immediately. I saw Brother Bethea Tuesday, and he told me he wasn't going to be here today. And I learned after I got here, Brother Fraser's out in California. And I just told Brother Bethea, I've run preachers out of town before. <laughs> so don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad about it. Brother Jeff, is there a quitting time? <laughs> I know you've got to be back, and we've got to be home. We, we worship at 6 o'clock at Southside in Winchester, and, and tonight, we're, after services, we're finishing a project that our seniors have been coordinating and working on, and, and since I am the coordinator of the senior ministry, Betty and I have got to get home for that. So, so we'll quit in time for you all to get back at 3.30. The text that was read for us from Luke chapter 10, a text that you've read many, many times. You've heard it read. You've, maybe you've taught from it many times. You've heard it taught. You've heard preachers preach from it from all of our lives, and you're saying, Dwayne, you're going to repeat that again? Uh, yes, we're going to repeat it again. Uh, I going to remind you of some things. Maybe you pick up something we hadn't seen before but here is this lawyer that comes to Jesus and he comes to him for one purpose. That purpose is not just to test him or tempt him, but it's to ensnare him, to get him to say something that the lawyer can go back and tell everybody else, we don't have to listen to this man anymore. So he raises the question, teacher, will you tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus knows the mind of this man. He knows why he is there. He also knows that the lawyer already knows the answer to his own question. And so Jesus refused to answer his question. He said, you know the law. What is your reading? What is your understanding of it? And the lawyer said, oh, to have eternal life, we must love God with all that we are. That is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. Love Him without reservation. And love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said, you've answered the question right. That's correct. Do that and you will have life. But remember, the lawyer didn't come to Jesus really wanting to know about eternal life. He came to him wanting to ensnare or entrap him. And now, as I look at the text, I'm thinking the lawyer's beginning to think in his own mind, I came to entrap him. He's turned that thing around. And he's put me on the spot. Now what do I do? I still want to get him. Oh, the neighbor. That neighbor that I'm to love as myself. Will you tell me who my neighbor is? A simple question, isn't it? To the Jewish mind, in the first century, the only neighbor they had was a fellow Jew. The Samaritans were not neighbors. The Gentile were not neighbors. Only those who were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on down the line could be my neighbor. And among the Jewish people, there were some who would narrow it down more than that. A good Pharisee might not accept a Sadducee as his neighbor, both being descendants of Abraham. He might reason in his own mind, How can I accept this Sadducee who does not believe in the resurrection and does not believe in angels? How can I accept him as my neighbor? So this is a question that maybe carries with it a little more difficulty. But I have an idea. The lawyer was surprised when Jesus did not say, "This is your neighbor. This is your neighbor. This one is not your neighbor." He didn't do that. Okay. tells him a simple story. a story that we come to call the story of the Good Samaritan. He tells him about a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. As he travels down that road, there are some people out there who are just waiting. For someone to come along by themselves, no one else around, so they can take advantage of him. And I don't know how many thieves and robbers they were, but I know they were two or more because it's in the plural. They outnumbered this man and they said, Here is our prey. We can take this man, we can do with him what we want to, we can take from him what we want to. And by the time they were through with this man, they'd taken everything he had, they'd stripped him of his clothing, they'd wounded him so severely that they leave him lying on the side of the road, half dead, unable to help himself. Almost like a newscast of today, isn't it? Can you imagine? Try to visualize in your mind, being that man lying over here on the road, half dead, unable to help himself, And with each moment that passes by, he's that closer to death. I don't know whether he's conscious or not, but if he is, I know one thing that's going through his mind. Somebody come down the road and see me lying here and come to my rescue. And a priest did come down the road. The best person possible, isn't it? The priest is God's man. He's a man of God. He officiates at the temple in Jerusalem. And he comes down the road and he sees the man lying over there. He does not go toward him, does he? No, he does the opposite. He gets on the other side of the road, passes by, continues his journey, leaves the poor man there to die. Another man comes down the road. He's a Levite which means he's a member of the tribe of Levi, and that's the tribe from which the priesthood comes. And you would think again, this is God's man, or a man of God, he's going to do something. And it says the Levite, as he traveled down the road, he sees the man over there, and he looks upon him. It seems like maybe the priest just sort of glanced at him. But the Levite looks at him. Do you ever do that when you're traveling? Some things don't, you know, they're there and you don't pay any attention to them. And all of a sudden you catch a sight of something and you sort of look at it. But even though the Levite looked at the man, he did the same thing the priest did. He got on the other side of the road, continued his journey, left the man there to die. A third man comes, a Samaritan. Hey, everybody in the story so far is Jewish, are they not? A Jewish law, you're asking Jewish Jesus the questions. The priest and the Levite are Jewish. He doesn't say, but I have an idea the man dying is a Jew, and also the thieves and robbers are. But this man is not. He's a Samaritan. He is of those people that the Jewish people in the first century had nothing to do with They were the scum of the earth in the mind of the Jews. They were far below and beneath them. They were the dogs of the earth, and the dogs in the first century weren't the household pets like we have today. They were the scavengers. But this Samaritan, maybe another way to look at this, the fellow laying over here is a Baltimore raven. And the fellow that comes along and sees him and has compassion upon him is a Pittsburgh Steeler. Now that's about the way it is, isn't it? The other ravens passed by on the other side. But this despised Samaritan, when he sees the man lying over there, he has something that was not mentioned with the priest and the Levite. He has compassion upon him. And because he has compassion, he doesn't get on the other side of the road and pass by. He goes to the man, he administers first aid, binds up his wounds, pours on oil and wine, puts him on his own animal, takes him to an inn, continues to take care of him that day and that night until the next day. When for whatever reason the Samaritan is traveling, he must travel on. But the wounded man isn't able to travel. What is he going to do with him? Got to get somebody to take care of him. So basically, he hires the innkeeper. Take care of him until he's able to travel. Here's two denarii to cover your expenses. If you spend more than that, keep a record of it. When I come back through, give me the bill, and I will reimburse you. I'll repay you for every penny you spend. Simple story, isn't it? A story told in answer to the question, Who is my neighbor? That's time for the lawyer to answer his own question again, isn't it? Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, Who proved to be neighbor among the three to the man that needed their help? And he said, Oh, the one that showed mercy. Don't you wish you'd had the courage being a raven to say the stealer did? Don't you wish this Jewish lawyer would have had the courage to say the word, the Samaritan? But nevertheless, he answered the question correctly. And then Jesus tells him, Now that you know who your neighbor is, I want you to go and do likewise. I want you to do what this Samaritan did. I want you to follow the example of this Samaritan. I want you to follow what he did. Can you imagine a proud Jewish lawyer being told to follow the example of a Samaritan? And Jesus ends the session. Go and do likewise. I don't believe Jesus was only talking about that lawyer to go and do likewise. I think He's telling you, and you, and you, and me to go and do likewise. I think Jesus is telling us, when we see someone who needs assistance, we need, see someone who needs help, especially someone that cannot help himself, go and do likewise. And we have opportunities to do this day after day after day in our normal lives, do we not? Do we not always know someone, most always, know someone in some family where there is an illness that that family needs us in one way or another? They may need us to pray for them. They may need us to provide some food for them. They may need us to do some child care for them. They may need us to provide some transportation for them. What do we do? Oh, we got good preachers. They'll take care of it. Well, we have good preachers, and they're going to do theirs, but it doesn't excuse us, does it? Are we going to pass by on the other side? When death strikes a family, what are we going to do? Similar situation. Family needs a lot of things during that time. Are we going to try to be one who is a neighbor? Or are we going to pass by on the other side? When tragedy comes, You know, I didn't catch all of it this morning, but I had a bulletin on my phone when I got up, shooting in Texas. It seems like every day there's a shooting somewhere. Somebody's being shot or a group of people are being shot. If we lived in those places and we knew those people, what would we do? Would we minister to them or pass by on the other side? even though we may not live there, do we pass by on the other side or do we get on our knees and do some praying? You know, we have opportunities every day to be a neighbor, to help someone who needs us, who needs someone to come and provide assistance and show that they have the love of God in their heart and they love them regardless of who they are. The amazing thing about this Samaritan was he didn't know that man over there. Probably never seen him in all of his life, but what he saw was a person who needed him and he went to him. Well, we could preach on that the rest of the day, but I want to switch it a little bit to disaster relief. We don't want churches to have to pass by on the other side. When a major disaster strikes their community, and it's beyond their capabilities to take care of the needs. Now, I'm not saying they don't have compassion. I'm not saying they're not going to do what they can do. But sometimes it's just far beyond what the congregation has the capabilities of taking care of. And we don't want the church to pass by on the other side because they just feel like it's, 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 the magnitude is so great. What can we do? So we do nothing. Joe Dudney told about a church he contacted where there was flooding in the town and said, uh, you know, we can send you a 53-foot trailer load of release supplies. And, and they just said, we don't, don't really have an interest. And he said, well, what are you doing to help the people? I said, we're not doing anything. What do you plan to do to help the people? Yeah, we really hadn't planned to do anything. We'll send you already paid for a trailer load of release supplies if you want to help the people in your community. You see, we don't want churches not to be able to be out there. We want churches in those times, especially in those times, to show compassion, to show mercy, to show love, to show that we really want to help our fellow man Whenever we can. I challenge you sometime. Take time and go back through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, particularly Luke and John. And see how often Jesus does something for other people. See how often He teaches about doing something for other people. Matthew 25 is a test that we must pass in the day of judgment. And that test was when Jesus was talking about all the nations of the earth will be gathered together before Him. And they'll be separated as the shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. And He talks about those on the right hand, those on the left hand. And whether or not they fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, clothed the naked, visited the sick, took the stranger in, visited those in prison. Whether or not they did that determined if they were on the right hand or on the left hand. And, of course, the right-hand folks has eternal life. The left-hand folks has eternal punishment. We need to be active. So, if you were here the first session, you're going to get a repeat. If you were here at 8 o'clock, I'm going to repeat basically what I said at 8 o'clock. The text was different, and that part of the lesson was different. But the rest of it is pretty much the same. In times of major disasters, we contact churches to see if they need assistance. You know, sometimes we have a difficulty in contacting folks because normally the only number we have in the office about the churches is the number that's in this building. And if the secretary's not here, it's going to be left on the answering machine. Uh, But again, being a landline, it might not even be working. And sometimes we, we've had flooding down in the southern part of West Virginia. You get down in the mountains and the small towns and the small congregations and nobody has secretaries and some of the phone, some of the churches don't have answering machines. And we we're trying to contact a church a few years ago and the way we ended up doing it was Uh, I know this brother, so I call him. Do you know somebody over there? No, I don't. But I think this brother will know somebody over there, so I call him. No, he doesn't know anybody, but this brother might. You know, and after four or five phone calls, finally get a contact number that we can call and ask, do you need help? So we encourage churches to pick up the phone and call us if you have a major disaster. And if you have it, then we'll say, well, we can send you a 53-foot trailer full of relief supplies. We can have that on the road within 24 hours or less from the time we contact the church. church just needs a place to unload the truck, a place that's big enough, large enough, a place that's dry and secure. When we worked with Sandy up on Long Island, Roosevelt Freeport Church just happened to have a building that they'd been trying to sell for a couple of years or longer, hadn't been able to sell it, what a great distribution center it became. To Brother Maxwell we sent all of our trucks up to that point. Then all the other churches on Long Island came with their box trucks and loaded up from there and went other places. You've got to have a room, a place to unload the truck. You've got to have volunteers to unload the truck. And we'll tell you about what time the truck will get there. And our truck driver will call when he gets near and he'll say, I'll be there at this time. Call your volunteers, have them ready. Unload the truck. You can unload that truck, and I've heard a record set in 30 minutes. I, that's, that's tough. But you unload that truck from 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And after it's unloaded, the truck driver gets back in it, and he goes back to Nashville. After all, he volunteered to do that. All of our truck drivers are volunteers. He volunteered to be on the road, to be away from his family. And so he's like all of the rest of us when we're away from home. We get anxious to get back home. So he's going to turn around and go back. And now under the leadership of the local church, you're going to minister to the people in your community, your neighbors, your co-workers, people you do business with or do business with you. You're going to minister to them. We're not going to send a team in to do it for you. We'll provide the supplies out of the generosity of individuals and churches like you who have made financial contributions so we can do this. And so you'll be distributing the bottled water that's on the truck. You'll be distributing the food boxes that will feed a family of four for five days or so. That has a variety of foods in them. Some of it doesn't have to be cooked because you may not have the means to cook it. And uh, everything else you need to be able to eat and survive. We've had stories told that people have come to our distribution centers where disasters are and get one of our food boxes and get out to their truck or their car or sometimes they don't even get that far. They just get outside of the building, open that box and sit down and get something out of it to eat because they hadn't had anything for a while. One of the ladies was talking to, to Betty, my wife, after this morning's services. And said another thing that a lot of people don't realize is when these major disasters happen, it's not just homes that are destroyed, but it's businesses. And sometimes those businesses don't come back. They don't rebuild. And how many lose their jobs? And he said, those who lost their houses... And the people who still had the houses to rent or were able to repair something real quickly to rent. All of a sudden, does the rent go down to help people? It goes up. So we want to do all we can to help folks. It's a struggle. Recovery is a long time ordeal. But along with the bottled water and the food boxes, and where would your baby go? <laughs> I was going to say, and she has. We put baby boxes on. There that little boy is. We put baby boxes on. So mothers and dads have what they need to continue to take care of their baby. After all, if you lose all of it in a fire or a flood or a tornado, that baby's got to be taken care of. You still need the bottles and the formulas, the blankets, the diapers, and all that other stuff. So we put baby boxes on. We put personal hygiene boxes Everything that men and women alike need to take care of their physical body. You know, you lose everything. I got up this morning and I would not want to have smelled my own breath. I I think it was awful. But I was thankful that I had a toothbrush and toothpaste. That I could brush my teeth and in my mouth. And hopefully, it smelled a little bit different. It just, just think, though, if, if I didn't have that. If I could find some water somewhere to just to wash off a little bit and I didn't have a worse cloth than any soap. Didn't have a towel to dry with. Everything that we need. And for your ladies, the things are in there for you, too. Everything that you need to take care of the physical body. We put cleaning buckets on the truck. These buckets are filled with cleaning supplies and with uh, heavy-duty gloves. A flashlight goes in that bucket with, with batteries because if you don't have electricity, you need a flashlight. And yours probably got war- washed away, burned up, or blown away. Or if that all didn't happen to you like we are when electricity goes off, where is the flashlight? <laughs> and the batteries are dead. Uh, but. Uh, We do that. And then we put pallets of bleach and detergents. We put mops and brooms. We put shovels and rakes and wheelbarrows. We put work gloves. We put blankets and pillows and bed linens. We just load that truck down. With tornadoes and hurricanes, we put a lot of tarpaulins in because a lot of roofs are, are damaged. We just put things in that truck to help people survive this disaster. We encourage the church then as you minister to people, you get their names and their addresses and their phone numbers because you really need to follow up and see if they need further assistance. And sometimes when you follow up, you'll find that a door has been opened that's never been opened to you before. And that door is, why did you help me? You didn't know me. You still don't know me. I don't go to your church, but you helped me. I helped you because God loves you and God wants me to. Wow, to a lot of people, that's a new message. And it opens the door to where you can explain all about Christianity and what salvation in Jesus is. And then, after people get back into their homes, repaired, and they get back in, or they move into another place if their home's destroyed, they don't have insurance to cover their personal things and they don't have any furniture, they don't have a bed to sleep on, don't have a cook stove, don't have a refrigerator, and your follow up, you discover this. So you get a list of these families and their needs, and you compile that list, and you give us a call and say, we need this number of, whether it's washers, dryers, refrigerators, stoves, furniture, beds, and we'll order it from our manufacturer. They'll deliver it to you just like we delivered things out of our facilities. Then you call these people and say, your refrigerator is here. Come pick it up. And you give it to them just as free as you gave them a case of bottled water. And there's times, after the disaster is over and people are still trying to get their feet back on the ground and trying to get back in a position to take care of their family's needs, that we can send you a trailer load of frozen foods. Frozen entrees and Breakfast entrees and and uh, meals. We just want to su- supply the church with what they need to minister to the people in their communities, so they don't have to pass by on the other side. Amen. We'll have to wind this thing down. Let me just tell you about a conversion, because you know the bottom line is the emphasis, even in benevolence, even in disaster relief work, is to bring people to Jesus. We all remember Katrina. Major storm, a lot of damage, a lot of publicity. Most of it centered around New Orleans. But Biloxi, Mississippi was hit with a storm. They didn't have the flooding. They got the blunt of the wind. A lot of damage was done and one of the churches set up a distribution center and we were sending supplies down to them and they were, they were busy helping people and, and a man shows up one day and, and he, he says, I, I heard you were helping people with things they need after this storm. And they said, yes, we are and he said, well, I lost about everything I had and was afraid I was going to lose my life. This is the worst storm I'd ever seen. And they said, well, what do you need? And they got it for him and got his name and information, and he went on his way. He comes back in a few days, and he said, got to thinking about all of this, got the storm, what you're doing, and I saw you helping people, and you didn't ask them a lot of questions. You didn't say, do you believe in God? Uh, are you a member of the churches of Christ? Are you re-? You didn't ask any of those things. You just said, what do you need? I and mean, we'd like to have your name and address and phone numbers. And you gave it to them. And you did that for me. And all of this really got me to thinking. I thought, well, I better come back and tell them who I am. Most of you this morning don't know me. You may have known Dwayne Castile was going to preach this morning. But you really don't know me. I'd have to tell you about who I am. And that's what that man said he wanted to do. He came back to the church and talked to some of the leaders there and said, I want to tell you who I am. If you come in the part of the city that I live in, everybody knows me. And if you ask about me, everybody's going to tell you the very same thing. If he's not the meanest man in town, he's one of the meanest. And he said, That's who I've been. I earned that reputation. I've done it all. I've mistreated, taken advantage of, stole from, everything that a person can do to other people. But he said, you know, I'm thinking maybe I need to change the way I live. The storm got his attention. The church ministering to him and other people really got his attention. And it opened a door. One of the meanest men in Biloxi, Mississippi is wanting to know about Jesus Roger Mills was the preacher there and Roger since has gone on to his re- reward. But Roger said, we studied with this man. He didn't say how long or how often. He just said, we, st- we got the Bible, we studied with this man, and he wanted to become a Christian. He wanted to be baptized, just like the young man this morning. Only they had a problem. You see, their building's damaged with a storm. And where the damage was, is where the baptistry was. And they haven't taken time to do the repair because they're out here helping people who are hurting and they couldn't use their baptistry. And somebody brought up the idea, a big garbage can will work. And they got one of these big garbage cans that was clean and they filled it with water, got a stepladder and helped the man into the garbage can. And Roger said, I'm going to climb up the stepladder because Roger is a small man physically. He said, I'm going to put my hand on top of your head and I get ready to baptize you. I'm going to press down and you've got to bend your knees. And when you're all the way under the water, I'll raise my hand off of your head and you can stand back up. Okay. Roger said, he went under the water. I brought my hand up and he didn't come up. It seemed like it was a long time, but sure, it's just a few seconds. But when he did come up, Roger said, Why did you stay under the water so long? He said, Didn't I tell you I've been a very wicked, sinful man? I wanted to make sure all of my sins are washed away. Amen. Now, that was in 2005. I talked to Roger probably three or four years ago. And Roger had retired and moved to northern Alabama. And I said, tell me about the man. He said he's still faithful, serving the Lord and that congregation. Now, over Katrina and all the other storms of that year and all the other disasters, we probably sent $30 million worth of relief supplies down on the Gulf Coast. But you know, if that man was the only one converted because the church took some of these supplies and ministered to his need, it was worth every dollar off Well, I've probably spoken longer than I should have. Again, thank you for letting me come. Thank you for letting me share with you a little bit more about Churches of Christ, Disaster Relief Effort. Thank you for being willing to make this day possible to where you've given the opportunity to give extra for this work. And we truly thank you for that. But I can't sit down without saying, maybe maybe somebody here that doesn't belong to God, that's never given their lives to Him, they've never accepted Jesus, they've never confessed His name, as the Son of God. They've never repented of their sins. They've never been buried with Him in baptism. If that's you, then do what the other young man did this morning. Don't leave this building. Don't leave this property without putting Jesus on in baptism, becoming a child of God, becoming a Christian. And maybe you did that some time ago. But for some reason, you've wandered away, you drifted away, you let other things become more important, and you're not serving the Lord. You're, you know, some of that sin you left behind maybe become more attractive again. You went back to it. Today's the day to come home. Today's the time to say, I need God. I need to be right with God. I need His forgiveness. If you need to answer the invitation of Jesus. Will you come while we stand and sing? When we walk with the
0: Lord In the light of His Word What a glory Good will He